This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When we take a look at the federal election campaign, we talked a lot about fiscal policy, monetary policy, really didn't play a big role in the campaign. And and as the campaign went along, uh, we also talked about foreign policy. Again, largely missing from the campaign debates. Wasn't a big topic. We didn't hear a lot about it from the leaders. Um, perhaps, though, it's more pressing now than it has been in some time. And certainly it's a different landscape globally. Um, and the old or new liberal government needs to navigate it starting today because things are moving fast. So let's get a discussion about where we are in terms of foreign policy in this country and what we need to be aware of. We're going to chat with Wesley Wark, who is a University of Ottawa historian and co-lead of a project that hopes to reimagine Canada's national security strategy. Wesley, thank you for your time today. appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. Look forward to the conversation, Shay. Yeah, foreign policy, you know, I mean, even the fact that the geopolitical landscape is changing so rapidly right now really didn't get a lot of focus at all during this election campaign, next to none, but experts like yourself are starting to speak up a bit and say, hey, you know what, it really should have, because it's really important, especially right now. Yeah, Shay, I'm, I'm afraid that, that <laughs> experts like myself will, will always say that issues like foreign policy and national security and defense should turn up on the election campaign trail. And, uh, but we say that, you know, uh, with a sinking feeling that it's unlikely that it will, um, you know, because particularly with a short election campaign, um, you know, the leaders of the parties have to stay ultra-focused, you know, try and advance their positions and avoid damage. And, and when you get into complex areas like you know, what, what's Canada's future position on foreign policy going to be? What are we going to really do about defense in the face of, you know, all kinds of budgetary pressures that now, you know, are impinging on government operations? How are we thinking about national security in the, in the face of a, you know, a very vastly changed national security landscape with lots of threats coming at us, many of which, you know, really do impinge on ordinary Canadians' lives, whether it's kind of cybersecurity issues or, or the impacts of pandemic yeah. or climate change, whatever it is. None of that really showed up on, on the election campaign trail. Um, but all of the parties had, had their positions uh, kind of tucked away in their, in their back pockets. And, you know, if, if Canadians uh, looked at uh, the details of the election campaign platforms that were published along the way, uh, in fact, the NDP one, I think, was published before the election even began, you know, you, you, could, you could get a bit of a sense. But there was really no opportunity for Canadians to hear directly from the leaders about what, what their plat- platforms really, really meant. So, you know, now that a government is going to be formed, opposition parties are going to return to Parliament, new ministers are going to be appointed, ministerial mandate letters are going to be provided to them, which the public will now see, because that's the new new process. There is going to have to be a position, you know, the, the current government, the new old government is going to have to, <laughs> you know, stake out its position on this. But, you know, um, on things like foreign policy, particularly on, on, you know, how we're going to proceed with relations with China and our strategic approach to China, that's probably the number one issue yeah. alongside dealing with Russia and, frankly, alongside figuring out how to deal with the United States, which, which is still full of surprises for us as a, as a longtime ally. So there are lots of, uh, you know, lots of issues to grapple with. 
and the opposition parties will will also be thinking you know uh, how can i as an opposition party advance my interests where might i be able to find common ground with the government or push them towards common ground so all of that is in play it should have been in play in the election, but it will be in play, you know, once politicians really return and get back to work in Ottawa. It seems to me like national security, whenever you talk about U.S. politics, national security is right at the top of the list of the things that they're kicking around all the time. It's not yeah. in Canada. It seems like they have a much more proactive approach to foreign policy, and it seems like Canada is almost entirely reactionary. Yeah, it's, it's, it's part of our kind of cultural baggage, What is the way I would put it. And, and it's, it's a, a reflection of the fact that I think for a very, very long time, Canadians, unlike their American counterparts, you know, were simply prepared to leave national security policy and worries about national security to, you know, Ottawa, whether Ottawa is close or distant, wherever you are geographically in the country. You know, that's just something the government would take care of as best they could, and it would be taken care of more or less in secret by you know, some some cabal of officials serving politicians. You know, that, that's the, that was the old-fashioned view. That's why I call it cultural baggage. I, I think really in the years after 9-11, can, you know, Canadians woke up to the fact that national security matters to me. Uh, it changes the way my country works. It, it has impacts on politics and society. It, it changes our, our kind of role in the world. And, you know, I think there's a much higher appetite for information about national security and really for engagement uh, on, on national security issues, which the government is responding to by way of what they like to call transparency commitments, talking more and more about it. But I think we're in the early days of this. We're not anywhere close to the American situation. Um, but, I, you know, I think we're moving in that direction where Canadians will see that national security, that is how best do we protect Canada and, and Canadians and Canada's interests at home and abroad, this is a, this is a big topic. And, and, you know, it is, a, it is a, a thinly disguised secret on the part of political parties and leaders. They know, you know, once they get back to work uh, in a new parliament, uh, leading the government, that, you know, whether or not they talked about national security in the campaign trail, it is, uh, um, you know, high on the agenda of, of daily business. And, you know, what, what Canada is, is facing uh, at the moment is a, is a you know, a real change in the national security landscape, where we have to think about things that we didn't really consider national security threats until recently. Pandemics, of course, number one, and how are we going to better prepare for them in the future? Climate change security impacts are galloping towards us in in ways that we're not really prepared for. Uh, You know, there are a whole world of cyber threats out there that, that we are trying to erect defenses for and better inform Canadians about, but we're not there yet. Countries are interfering in our democratic practices, and, and we'll see ultimately post-election whether there was much interference behind the scenes with the election itself. Perhaps not, but, but that's an ongoing threat. So there are all kinds of things out there that I, I think governments appreciate that they have to deal with, of course, because it's a number one responsibility. But we're coming around to the view that governments can't be left to do that on their own. They have to talk to Canadians about that, and they have to get buy-in from Canadians. You know, this is our, this is our policy, whether in government or in opposition. This is the best way forward. Do you agree or not? And, and I think that's an important conversation that, that we are uh, headed towards, and, and it's partly why we're, we're running this project at the Centre for International Governance Innovation. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash ev9 to learn more. 
Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. You co-author of a project um, or co-lead on a project talking about reframing our national security framework in this country. And what That's what is idea. our national security framework? I mean, when you talk about our strategy and our framework, it, 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 what what is it? I mean... Uh, in terms of what we need to do, where we need to go from where we are, what are you talking about? So, so, so this, is, this is part of, uh, frankly, the delight of this project and, <laughs> and, you know, its ambitious scope and its unprecedented nature. We do not have in Canada a national security strategy. I didn't think so. <laughs> and that puts us, we don't have one at all. That puts us offside with all our close allies. Britain has a published one. The United States has one that they're, they're constantly refreshing. Australia has one. New Zealand has one. We don't have one. The last one that we had dates back to 2004, and, and, you know, you have to be a brilliant researcher to find it in the archives of Library and Archives Canada. So it just sits on a, you know, metaphorical shelf. But, but I, you know, part of the argument here is, and we, we drew together about 250 experts across Canada and internationally to help us think through these issues. The argument is, you know, really threefold. First of all, the national security landscape has changed. The kinds of threats that Canada has to deal with is, has changed. Secondly, the world in which Canada is, is operating is, is very different from that which we're used to operating. You know, the, the old rules of international relations, the kind of comfort that there would be relative security and stability, that there would be strong American leadership, all kinds of, of, of issues, you know, have gone out the window. Yeah. And we're now facing a new geopolitical environment in which China has risen in particular as a you know, potential threatener as well as a country we have to figure out how to live with. So, so there is that. And, and then there's the, the whole question of, of how all of these things actually impinge on ordinary Canadians, you know, whether, whether they might find, you know, their you know, loss of personal identity through, through, you know, cyber attacks of some kind, whether they might find their business undermined uh, by, by ransomware attacks or intellectual property theft whether they might find, you know, a forest fire raging at their door or a flood coming into their basement. You know, there, it's, it's just something where we have to think as a, you know, as a, the government has to think about this. The government has to think about this in the context of its international relations. And the government has a, a new responsibility to explain to Canadians how they want to go ahead. And, and our hope with this project is that we'll, we'll, we'll feed some ideas into Ottawa and, you know, distribute them as widely, uh, you know, throughout the interested public in Canada as we can to, to get this debate going, really get some thinking going so that we can have a national security strategy going forward. You know, last one here, the geopolitical situation. It seems to me like making these kinds of changes and sort of revamping our national security framework, it, the time is of the essence. I mean, I don't know how much emphasis we need to put on the Australia-UK-United States mm. deal that happened last week, but it seems to me like things are happening um, and we're being left behind. Do I have it right or wrong? I think that's right. I mean, um, and to a certain extent, uh, I think it's fair to say that the, the current Canadian governments, uh, both the current one and you know previous ones, have been cautious in their approach to China, trying to figure their way. Um, and Canada is now, and it's partly you know your reference to the, this new pact with Australia and yeah. Britain uh, and the United States on on you know nuclear submarines and so on. It's a real indicator. You know, Canada has kind of two choices. One is a confrontational policy towards China which is, is the sort of position that the United States is pursuing. Uh, the other is a European position, which is to say, well, China presents certain kinds of problems and challenges, 
but we want to work with China. And, and there's quite a stark difference between that American position, and we're a close ally of the United States, of course, and the European position where we might be inclined to gravitate towards. So we're kind of, we're stuck in this uncomfortable position of not knowing quick which path we really want to pursue. But we have to make up our minds on that pretty quickly. And, and we have to indicate how we've made up our minds. I mean, I, I think that's just uh, uh, essential. Absolutely. Interesting discussion. Uh, Wesley, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jay. Great, great to chat. Thanks. Yeah. That is Wesley Wark, the University of Ottawa historian and co-lead on a project that he hopes will help governments reimagine Canada's national security strategy. And I know a lot of you have t- pointed it out on the text line as we've talked about this, that whole Australia-UK-US pact. Um, typically, Canada would have a seat at that table. Um, and Australia, you know, when you take a look at the way China has treated different people around the planet, right? And, you know, as I've characterized here on the show, they've just been punching Canada in the, in the nose repeatedly over and over and over, and we just seem to stand there and take the punches. Australia punches back you know, recognizing that they're probably going to lose the fight, but they're going to fight. And uh, they've paid a price economically for it, but they seem to at least be willing to push back a little bit, whereas uh, Canada hasn't done that. And uh, does that play into this new agreement? You know, um, Joe Biden at the uh, UN General Assembly this week was talking about China and how Western countries need to come together and sort of build some sort of firewall, some containment strategy, some understanding of what they're going to do with China as they continue to grow larger and larger and exert more and more influence globally. And uh, hopefully Canada's part of that, but it does require a change in our thinking, I think, because we sort of just, I think we've coasted on on the fact that we live next door to the biggest superpower on the planet. We've taken advantage of that and taken it for granted. And the United States has clearly indicated they're not interested in that role anymore.